as Martha prayed this morning in our prayers of the people, there are signs that Christmas is upon us everywhere. Every, everywhere we go, we see signs that point to the birth of our Savior. And uh, this morning, we begin a new message series that uh, is called Signs of Our Savior. And um, I think it's particularly helpful to us that we not just see the signs of our Savior that the culture um, lays out before us, but that we contemplate and delve into and even ponder in our hearts the signs of our Savior that are laid out throughout the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And uh, I want to start uh, with this video clip. Have any of y'all seen Bruce Almighty? Mm. Okay, this clip comes from the scene where Bruce has just had a devastating argument with his girlfriend about having the worst day of his life. And he takes off in his car to calm down. But this drive turns into this very spiritual conversation between him and God. Let's watch this. Uh. So Bruce cries out to the Lord, what should I do? Give me a sign. Lord, I need a miracle. Reach in, intervene in my life. And God does. God gives him a sign. God sends him several signs. But here's the thing. Bruce refuses to believe the signs God puts in front of him. And this morning, we look at one of the most beautiful and important signs in all of Scripture. The sign that God has put in front of us that we might believe and enjoy the goodness and promises and power of the Lord in our lives. It's a sign promised by God over 2,700 years ago through the prophet Isaiah. It's found in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. It's a sign God fulfills 2,000 years ago. It's a sign that we believe and celebrate today. This sign is the reason for the season. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are not a distant, far-off, aloof, uncaring God, but just the opposite. You are a God who draws near, a God who cares, a God who helps, a God who hears and responds and is working in our lives for our good and your glory. So now, Holy Spirit, come. Open our eyes to see Jesus. Open our hearts to hear and to believe this sign that you have given for our hope, for our salvation. We pray expectantly, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35. 
Some people see the virgin birth as a bit weird. Anybody out there? Kind of weird? Kind of strange? Some say that it's non-essential. But by God's grace, what I hope will happen this morning is that you'll see, maybe for the first time, maybe more deeply than ever before, why the virgin birth is absolutely crucial for our faith and our salvation. Now, here's the deal. I don't think the church has been very faithful to guard this truth, to guard this aspect of the Bible. In fact, I have never heard a sermon preached on the virgin birth. Now, maybe... I just don't get around much, but just, just out of curiosity, raise your hand if you've ever heard a sermon on the essentiality of the virgin birth to the gospel. Okay, one and two. Awesome, today's your day. Um, and so, uh, by God's grace, he's going to show you, and I'm going to do maybe a little less preaching today and, and more some teaching, because this is... So important, y'all. The virgin birth is the foundation of everything that Christmas stands for. It's right at the heart. It's right at the center of the season. In fact, no other detail in the Christmas story is more important than the virgin birth. Without it, the world could not be saved from sin. And so my hope this morning is that the Lord will move us out of not knowing into understanding, out of indifference into gratitude and thanksgiving for this extraordinary aspect of the gospel and how important and relevant it is to our life and our faith and our salvation. Let's look uh, at verses 26 through 27. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was? All right, we're all on the same page. Mary was preparing for marriage to Joseph. Joseph's the one. Joseph's the one. This is the greatest time of her life. Preparing for a wedding is an exciting time. It's a time filled of joy and hope. Invitations to send, a party to plan, a new house to prepare, all while experiencing the innocence of young love and the joy of a dream come true. I mean, Joseph's the one. She's been waiting all of her life for this moment. And Mary is caught up in this great season of her life, preparing for marriage to Joseph. And then God interrupts. <laughs> God breaks in to this tender moment as he had always planned to do from eternity past. And he sends an angel to inform Mary that bigger plans were afoot. Even bigger plans than she was preparing for. I love the birth narrative. It is, it is such a beautiful aspect that conveys God's heart 
that conveys his love for us, that conveys who he has created us to be and how he has come after us to continue loving us, to redeem us back to the original glory that he created us to enjoy. Look at verse 28 through 33. Greetings, the angel says. Greetings, you who are highly favored. Ooh, the Lord, his favor is upon you, girl. The Lord is with you, so don't freak out. God's given you favor. God's with you. Don't be afraid. Mary, you found favor with God. How cool is that? Wow. Get engaged and have an angel show up to affirm your decision? That's pretty cool. I think they should definitely try and work that in next season of The Bachelor. You know, have an angel show up with a rose and put that sucker in a vase. So yeah, good match, good match. What do you think's going through Mary's mind here? What do you think she's experiencing? What, what, is, what does she think that the angel's gonna say next? Maybe she was gonna receive uh, an, an affirmation for her purity. Maybe she was gonna receive a blessing for her impending marital covenant. Maybe she was going to get some kind of incredible gift that Gabriel came bearing, like a divine dowry or a large estate. I mean, why not? She was a descendant of Aaron and the priestly Levite tribe, and Joseph was from the line of King David. Why not some big gift from God? But this isn't the news the angel comes to bring. Instead, the angel drops the first gospel bomb of the New Testament. Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. It's the ultimate reveal. All at once, Mary finds out she's pregnant. She learns the gender of her baby, and she gets the baby's name all at once. I can't imagine how overwhelming that must have been for her. I can't imagine how stunned she must have been in that moment, standing in the presence of this angel. How would she respond? It probably felt like forever before she could come up with a response. I think this is the origin of the pregnant pause. Look at verse 34. But how can it be? Since I'm a virgin. How can it be? Since I'm a virgin. Mary can't fathom how she could possibly have a child. She knew that she hadn't had any sexual intercourse with Joseph or anyone else. So how could it be? God's not confined to time or space. And the very definition of a miracle is that it overcomes and circumnavigates the laws, the natural laws that God has created. And the answer that the angel gives to Mary takes us to the heart 
of the first and greatest miracle of the New Testament. Look at verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Two significant things here that the Holy Spirit is doing. Power and overshadowing. Here's why this is significant. Throughout the Old Testament, God's presence is associated with a powerful radiance known as the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory is the visible presence and power of God among his people. It's the presence and power of God leading the Israelites out of slavery into Egypt and through, out of slavery from Egypt and into and through the desert wilderness as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's the presence and power of God in the tabernacle and in the temple hovering over the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. The power and radiance of God, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is what the angel says. Power. Dunamis. The power for performing miracles. The inherent ability and capacity to influence and affect change. The strength consisting in or resting upon armies or forces in great numbers. The Holy Spirit will come in power and overshadow you. Episciaso, the center of his presence. A shining cloud surrounding and enveloping a person or an object. What Gabriel explains is that the presence and power of God among his people would appear once again in the womb of Mary. The Shekinah glory of God will overshadow her. And her baby will be conceived and be special, unlike any other baby that had ever existed. He will be holy, the Son of God, because he will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. For all of Luke's intellectual objectivity, he does not hesitate to record the coming of the Messiah into the world as a miracle. Y'all, Luke's a doctor and a historian. He's committed to the facts of the gospel, communicating those facts accurately, and he emphasizes the virgin birth. Why? 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 Some 300 years later at the council of Nicaea, do all the bishops and leaders all over Christendom gather in Nicaea and clarify and confirm this apostolic witness saying, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. Why is this so important? Because... 
Everything else in the New Testament revolves around this first miracle. Y'all, this is essential to the gospel and therefore crucial for our life and faith and salvation. And I want to I go a little bit deeper in this. Because I, I don't want us to go another Advent. I don't want us to go another Christmas without looking at this amazing sign that God has provided for us. And in the midst of all the crushes and in the midst of all the decoration on the streets and in the stores and all the commercials on TV, I want to give us an opportunity here and now that will carry through December 25th to ponder in our hearts, to contemplate with faith and hope this incredible sign that God has given us so that it doesn't just pass away so that we don't miss it, but that we see it, that we, we receive it so that we can enjoy it. Why is the virgin birth so important? What does it mean for our life and our salvation? Look at verses 32 and 35. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The angel is describing the nature and the role of this special child. The virgin birth is all about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He is unlike any other person who ever lived. I want to share a few ways. I think there's four or five. The first is this. Jesus didn't have a human father. Jesus was born of a virgin because there's no need of a human father. Joseph made no contribution to the conception whatsoever. He was in charge of the donkey. We'll give him that. He was in charge of probably navigating to Bethlehem. We'll give him that. But he had nothing to do with the conception. Jesus already had a father. You know what that means? That means that his conception was not his origin, but the incarnation of his divine person. I'm telling you, your brain might start cramping a little bit. Secondly, Jesus existed before his mom. And that means that Mary's virginity didn't contribute to Jesus' divine nature. Okay, hang on. Your life began at the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb. Before that moment, you didn't exist. And without that moment, you would never have been. But with Jesus, it's different, right? His life didn't begin in the womb. Before he was lying in a manger, he shared the life of God as eternal, pre-existent, co-existent creator of heaven and earth. This is the emphasis of the apostle John in John chapter 1. It's how he starts his gospel. Jesus existed before his birth. And because Jesus existed before his birth, he didn't need a beginning. 
what he needed was a human body. So the moment Mary conceived, God the Son left heaven and took up residence in the womb of a virgin in the power of the Holy Spirit, overshadowing her. The Shekinah glory comes over Mary and fulfills exactly what God promised to the prophet Isaiah. And what this means is that Mary didn't provide the origin for Jesus' divinity. She provided the means for his divinity to take on and unite with humanity. Third, the virgin birth is the means by which the divine son, the second person of the Trinity, added to himself a human nature. Okay, it's a matter of addition. The eternal son of God who has always possessed the divine nature of God didn't change or set aside his divinity. Instead, he added to himself a second nature. He has taken on a human nature. And as a result, Jesus is one person who is both fully God and fully man. Not 50-50, 100-100. It's all a mystery, y'all. It's not math, it's a miracle. And Jesus is able to act through both natures in such a way that neither his deity or his humanity is ever compromised or diminished. So, Jesus didn't have a human father. He existed before his mother. And the virgin birth is the means by which the divine son added to himself a human nature. The fourth thing that's significant is that the virgin birth enables Jesus to be fully human without inheriting the sin that infects the human race. Scripture teaches us that our sin nature was passed down through Adam. Psalm 51.5, Romans 5, 14-15. It's all, it's all over the scriptures. So here's what that means, okay? If Joseph was the real father of Jesus, or Mary had been sleeping around with Larry, then Jesus wouldn't have been spotless, innocent, and perfectly holy. If that were true then the result is is that we have no mediator. No imputation of Christ's righteousness because he wouldn't have any righteousness to impute to us and no salvation. Are you following me? However, because the Holy Spirit was responsible for Jesus' conception, because it was the power of God that overshadowed Mary, Christ didn't inherit a fallen sin nature. Rebellion against God never entered his DNA. Jesus was made like us in every way except for sin. He fully experienced the effects of living in a fallen world, but he didn't share the guilt or disposition of Adam's sin passed down to the human race. He was tempted in every way just as we are, and yet he did not sin. He always obeyed perfectly, always obeyed the Father's will. Y'all, the virgin's birth is essential 
because it's what enables Jesus to be the holy, innocent, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and our perfect mediator and advocate with the Father. Why I've never preached on this, I don't know. This is repentance. Fifth and finally, the virgin birth demonstrates that Jesus was truly human and truly divine. Look, if Jesus hadn't been born of a human, we might not believe in his full humanity. If his birth were like any other human birth, through the union of a, of a, of a human father and a human mother, we, we would probably question his divinity. All right? There could have been a lot of different ways that the second person of the Trinity could have shown up among us, but this is the perfect way. Because the virgin birth secures both a real human nature and also completely um, maintains his divine nature. A great quote from one of the early church fathers, Leo the Great, bishop of Rome and a significant leader at the Council of Chalcedon in 451. He said it this way, He who is true God was therefore born in the complete and perfect nature of a true man. He took the nature of a servant without stain of sin, enlarging our humanity without diminishing his divinity. Yet this was the condescension of compassion, not the loss of omnipotence. So the one who as God had created humankind became as a servant human himself. Thus the Son of God enters this lowly world. He comes down from the throne of heaven, yet does not separate himself from the Father's glory. Leo the Great. The divinity and humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ is of great importance because only God can reconcile man to God. And only man can bear the punishment that our sins deserve. And so being fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ uniquely is uniquely qualified to do everything necessary to forgive our sin and reconcile us to God. He is the Son and Savior, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I think that's really encouraging for us today. Really encouraging in two specific ways. Look at verse 37. The first is this. The virgin birth serves to strengthen our faith. It teaches us, as it did Mary, that nothing will be impossible with God. When we don't see a way we can be reminded that God can make a way, that God is the way, that with God all things are possible, that God overcomes. He has the power, he has the ability to overcome seemingly insurmountable impossibilities. That's who God is. And so 
this season? What's your seemingly insurmountable, impossible situation? Is it related to work or finances? Is it with a family member? Maybe your marriage or with a child? Is it your health? Because here's what's so encouraging. What might appear to be a crisis is often God's greatest opportunity to show up and do his deepest work in our lives for our good, for his glory. God is the most creative being in the universe. And he often accomplishes his purposes in our lives in different and greater ways than we expect or imagine because of his spirit at work among us. I need this. We all need this ministry of divine interruption, of divine intervention, where the Holy Spirit breaks into our private world and changes the conversation we're having with ourselves. We all need God's help, seeing his mercy his love, his grace, his power in our lives, seeing ourselves and our circumstances through his life and leaning on him and not our own understanding, trusting him to make our way straight. We need to be reminded that we are safe and secure. No matter what our circumstances, no matter how dark it is or how confusing we are, we are safe and secure in the loving hands of a merciful, forgiving, redeeming God who has our best interest at heart, whose grace is sufficient for us and who's working all things together for our good and his glory. What is it for you? Nothing is impossible with God. The second way I think this is encouraging for us is that the virgin birth provides us with a wonderful example of genuine faith and humble obedience. Look at verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Y'all, it was no light matter to conceive the Messiah in this mysterious and miraculous manner. This is challenging for Mary. It puts her reputation at stake. It causes her to radically change her plans. It makes her realize, oh no, I'm not in control. And yet Mary's response is to believe in God and to surrender to his will. She yields herself totally to the Lord, in body, in soul, in spirit. What an example to follow. This, this is why we love Mary. Regardless of her circumstances, she trusts the Lord. She believes his word and she rejoices greatly in his presence and power in her life. I would do well. We would all do well to pray daily 
Lord, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. To believe in Jesus is the single work of the Christian life. Faith is working to remain open and receptive to the presence and promises and power of God manifest through the person and ministry of Jesus. This this is why we love Mary. Because despite her difficult circumstances and the extraordinary pressures she faced, she remains open and receptive to the presence, the promises, and the power of God. She surrenders herself to God, giving herself to the Holy Spirit. And he produces the fruit of Christ's presence in her life, literally and spiritually. And she is so encouraging to me. I, I, I contemplate the life and faith of Mary, and I want to orient my life to God in the same way, to surrender to the love of God, to believe in Jesus, to give myself to the presence and promise and power of the Holy Spirit every day. Lord, may it be unto me as you say, because I'm not in control, but God is. And he's doing great things. I want to close with this quote from American theologian Al Mohler, who correctly asserts this. The virgin birth does not stand alone as a biblical doctrine. It is an irreducible part of the biblical revelation about the person and work of Jesus Christ. With it, the gospel stands or falls. And so this Advent, as we journey toward the celebration of the birth of Christ, it's appropriate to think deeply about the virgin birth, to ponder this mystery in our hearts and to believe. In the midst of all the physical signs, in the midst of all the decoration, in the midst of all the commercials, don't overlook the promised sign that we're celebrating this season. Don't pass by the sign of the Savior. More than 2,000 years ago, a baby was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit in a virgin's womb. And because that baby was fully God and fully human and yet without sin, he became the way of salvation. Let's pray.